Chapter Thirteen of Clementina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clementina by A. E. W. Mason. Chapter Thirteen. The Night of the Twenty Seventh in Clementina's Apartments. Meanwhile, within the room, the princess mother clung to Clementina. The terror which her sharp cry had expressed was visible in her strained and startled face. Her eyes, bright with terror, stared at the drawn curtain. She could not avert them. She still must gaze, fascinated by her fears, and her dry, whispering lips were tremulous. "'Heaven have mercy,' she whispered. "'Shut the window. Shut it fast.' And as Clementina moved in surprise, she clung closer to her daughter. "'No, do not leave me. Come away. Jesu, here we are alone, two women.' "'Mother,' said Clementina, soothing her and gently stroking her hair, as though she in truth was the mother and the mother her daughter. "'There's no cause for fear.' "'No cause for fear. I saw him, the sentry. He is climbing up. Ah!' And again her voice rose to a cry as Wogan's foot grated on the window-ledge. "'Hush, mother, a cry will ruin us. It's not the sentinel,' said Clementina." Clementina was laughing, and by her laughter the princess mother was in some measure reassured. "'Who is it, then?' she asked. "'Can you not guess?' said Clementina incredulously. "'It is so evident. Yet I would not have you guess. It is my secret, my discovery. I'll tell you.' She heard a man behind the curtain spring lightly from the window to the floor. She raised her voice that he might know she had divined him. "'Your sentinel is the one man who has the right to rescue me. "'Your sentinel's the king.' "'At that moment Wogan pushed aside the curtain. "'No, your highness,' said he, "'but the king's servant.' "'The princess mother dropped into a chair "'and looked at her visitor with despair. "'It was not the sentinel, to be sure, "'but on the other hand it was Mr. Wogan, "'whom she knew for a very insistent man "'with a great liking for his own way.' She drew little comfort from Mr. Wogan's coming. It seemed, too, that he was not very welcome to Clementina, for she drew back a step, and in a voice which dropped and had a tremble of disappointment, Mr. Wogan, she said, the king is well served, and she stood there without so much as offering him her hand. Wogan had not counted on so cold a greeting, but he understood the reason, and was not sure but what he approved of it. After all, she had encountered perils on the king's account. She had some sort of a justification to believe the king would do the like for her. It had not occurred to him, or indeed to anyone, before, but now that he saw the chosen woman so plainly wounded, he felt a trifle hot against his king for having disappointed her. He set his wits to work to dispel the disappointment. "'Your Highness, the truth is there are great matters brewing in Spain. His Majesty was needed there most urgently. He had to decide between Innsbruck and Cadiz, and it seemed that he would honour your confidence in him and at the same time serve you best.' Clementina would not allow him to complete the sentence. Her cheek flushed, and she said quickly, "'You are right, Mr. Wogan. The King is right. Mine was a girl's thought. I am ashamed of it.' And she frankly gave him her hand. Wogan was fairly well pleased with his apology for his king. It was not quite the truth, no doubt, but it had spared Clementina a trifle of humiliation, and had re-established the king in her thoughts. 
he bent over her hand and would have kissed it but she stopped him no said she an honest hand clasp if you please for no woman can ever have lived who had a truer friend and wogan looking into her frank eyes was not after all nearly so well pleased with the untruth he had told her she was an uncomfortable woman to go about with shifts and contrivances her open face with its broad forehead and the clear steady eyes of darkest blue claimed truth as a prerogative the blush which had faded from her cheeks appeared on his and he began to babble some foolish word about his unworthiness when the princess-mother interrupted him in a grudging voice mr wogan you were to bring a written authority from the prince my husband wogan drew himself up straight your highness said he with a bow of the utmost respect i was given such an authority the princess-mother held out her hand will you give it me i said that i was given such an authority but i have it no longer i was attacked on my way from olau there were five men against me all of whom desired that letter the room was small i could not run away neither had i much space wherein to resist five men i knew that were i killed and that letter found on me your highness would thereafter be too surely guarded to make escape possible and his highness prince sobieski would himself incur the emperor's hostility so when i had made sure that those five men were joined against me i twisted that letter into a taper and before their faces lit my pipe with it clementina's eyes were fixed steadily and intently upon wogan's face when he ended she drew a deep breath but otherwise she did not move the princess mother however was unmistakably relieved she spoke with a kindliness she had never shown before to wogan she even smiled at him in a friendly way we do not doubt you mr wogan but that written letter giving my daughter leave to go i needs must have before i let her go a father's authority i cannot take that upon myself clementina took a quick step across to her mother's side you did not hear she said i heard indeed that mr wogan had burnt the letter but under what stress and to spare my father and to leave me still a grain of hope mother this gentleman has run great risks for me how great i did not know even now in this one instance we can only guess and still fall short of the mark the princess mother visibly stiffened with maternal authority my child without some sure sign the prince consents you must not go clementina looked towards wogan for assistance Wogan put his hand into his pocket. "'That sure sign I have,' said he. "'It is a surer sign than any written letter, for handwriting may always be counterfeit. This could never be.' And he held out on the palm of his hand the turquoise snuff-box which the prince had given him on New Year's Day. "'It is a jewel unique in all the world, and the prince gave it me. It is a jewel he treasured not only for its value, but its history.' yet he gave it me. It was won by the great King John of Poland, and remains as a memorial of the most glorious day in all that warrior's glorious life. Yet his son gave it me. With his own hands he put it into mine to prove to me with what confidence he trusted your highness's daughter to my care. That confidence was written large in the letter I burnt, but I am thinking it is engraved forever upon this stone." 
the princess mother took the snuff-box reluctantly and turned it over and over she was silent clementina answered for her i am ready she said and she pointed to a tiny bundle on a chair in which a few clothes were wrapped my jewels are packed in the bundle but i can leave them behind me if needs be wogan lifted up the bundle and laughed your highness teaches a lesson to soldiers for there is never a knapsack but can hold this and still have half its space to spare the front door is unlatched monsieur chateaudoux is waiting in the hall and the hall's unlighted yes jenny should be here in a minute and before she comes i must tell you she does not know the importance of our undertaking she is the servant to mrs Musset, who attends your highness into italy we did not let her into the secret we made up a comedy in which you have your parts to play your highness and he turned to clementina is a rich austrian heiress deeply enamoured of captain lucius o'toole captain lucius o'toole exclaimed the mother in horror my daughter enamoured of a captain lucius o'toole he is one of my three companions said wogan imperturbably moreover he is six foot four the most creditable lover in the world well said clementina with a laugh i am deeply enamoured of the engaging captain lucius o'toole go on sir your parents are of a most unexampled cruelty they will not smile upon the fascinating o'toole but have locked you up on bread and water until you shall agree to marry a wealthy but decrepit gentleman of eighty-three i will not cried clementina i will starve myself to death first i will marry my six foot four or no other man in christendom clementina cried her mother deprecatingly but at this moment continued wogan there very properly appears the fairy godmother in the person of a romantical maiden aunt oh said clementina i have a romantical maiden aunt yes said wogan and turning with a bow to the princess mother your highness i she exclaimed starting up in her chair your highness has written an encouraging letter to captain o'toole resumed wogan the princess mother gasped a letter to captain o'toole and she flung up her hands and fell back in her chair on receipt of the letter captain o'toole gathers his friends borrows a horse here a carriage there and a hundred guineas from heaven knows whom comes to the rescue like the knight-errant and retells the old story of how love laughs at locksmiths as wogan ended the mother rose from her chair it may have been that she revolted at the part she was to play it may have been because a fiercer gust shook the curtain and bellied it inwards at all events she flung the curtain aside the snow drifted through the open window on to the floor outside the open window it was falling like a cascade and the air was icy mr wogan she said stubbornly working herself into a heat to make more sure of her resolution my daughter cannot go to-night to-morrow if the sky clears yes but to-night no you do not know sir being a man but my daughter has fasted through this lent and that leaves a woman weak i do forbid her going as her father would the very dogs running the streets for food keep kennel on such a night she must not go 
Wogan did not give way, though he felt a qualm of despair, knowing all the stubbornness of which the weak are capable, knowing how impervious to facts or arguments. "'Your Highness,' he said quickly, "'we are not birds of passage to rule our flight by seasons. We must take the moment when it comes, and it comes now. Tonight your daughter can escape, for here's a night made for an escape.' "'And for my part,' cried Clementina, "'I would the snow fell faster.' she crossed to the open window and held out her hands to catch the flakes would they did not melt i believe heaven sends the snow to shelter me it's the white canopy spread above my head that i may go in state to meet my king she stood eager and exultant her eyes shining her cheek on fire her voice thrilling with pride she seemed not to feel the cold she welcomed the hardships of wind and falling snow as her opportunity she desired not only for escape, but also to endure. Wogan looked her over from head to foot, filled with pride and admiration. He had made no mistake. He had plucked this rose of the world to give to his king. His eyes said it. The girl, reading them, drew a breath and rippled out a laugh of gladness that his trusted servant was so well content with her. But the princess mother stood unmoved. "'My daughter cannot go to-night,' she repeated resentfully. "'I do forbid it.' Wogan had his one argument. This one argument was his last resource. He had chosen it carefully with an eye to the woman whom it was to persuade. It was not couched as an inducement. It did not claim the discharge of an obligation. It was not a reply to any definite objection. Such arguments would only have confirmed her in her stubbornness.' He made, accordingly, an appeal to sentiment. "'Your Highness's daughter,' said he, "'spoke a minute since of the hazards my friends and I have run to compass her escape. As regards four of us, the words reached beyond our deserts, for we are men. Such hazards are our portion. They are seldom lightened by so high a name. But the fifth—the words, however kind, were still below that fifth one's merits, for the fifth is a woman.' I know. With all my heart I thank her. With all my heart I pity her. But there is one thing your highness does not know. She runs our risks, the risk of capture, the risk of the night, the storm, the snow. She a woman by nature timid and frail, yet with never in all her life so great a reason for timidity, or so much frailty of health as now. We venture our lives, but she ventures more." The mother bowed her head. Clementina looked fixedly at Wogan. "'Speak plainly, my friend,' she said. "'There are no children here. Madam, I need but quote to you the words her husband used. For my part I think that nobler words were never spoken. And with her whole heart she repeats them. They are these. The boy would only live to serve his king. Why should he not serve his king before he lives?' The mother was silent, but Wogan could see that the tears overbrimmed her eyes and rolled down her cheeks. Clementina was silent for a while, too, and stood with her eyes fixed thoughtfully on Wogan. Then she said gently, "'Her name.' Wogan told her it, and she said no more, but it was plain that she would never forget it, that she had it written upon her heart. Wogan waited, looking to the princess, who, drying her tears, rose from her chair and said with great and unexpected dignity, 
how comes it sir that with such servants your king still does not sit upon his throne my daughter shall not fall below the great example set to her my fears are shamed by it my daughter goes with you to-night it was time that she consented for even as wogan flung himself upon his knee and raised her hand monsieur chateaudoux appeared at the door with a finger on his lips and behind him one could hear a voice grumbling and cursing on the stairs jenny said wogan and jenny stumbled into the room quiet said he you will wake the house well if you had to walk upstairs in the dark in these horrible shoes oh jenny your cloak quick take the thing a good riddance to it it's dripping wet and weighs a ton dripping wet moaned the mother i shall not wear it long said clementina advancing from the embrasure of the window jenny turned and looked her over critically from head to foot then she turned away without a word and let the cloak fall to the ground it fell about her feet she kicked it viciously away and at the same time she kicked off one of those shoes of which she so much complained jenny was never the woman to mince her language and to-night she was in her surliest mood so she swore simply and heartily to the mother's utter astonishment and indignation damn she said hobbling across the room to the corner whither her shoe had fallen there there old lady don't hold your hands to your ears as though a clean oath would poison them the princess mother fell back in her chair does she speak to me she asked helplessly yes said wogan and turning to jenny this is the kind-hearted aunt jenny turned to clementina who was picking the cloak from the floor and you are the beautiful heiress she said sourly well if you are going to put that wet cloak on your shoulders i wish you joy of the first kiss o'toole gives you when you jump into his arms the princess mother screamed wogan hastened to interfere jenny there's the bedroom to bed with you and he took out his watch at once he uttered an exclamation of affright wogan had miscalculated the time which he would require it had taken longer than he had anticipated to reach the villa against the storm his conflict with jenny in the portico had consumed valuable minutes he had been at some pains to over-persuade the princess mother jenny herself amongst the trees in the darkness had waited more than the quarter of an hour demanded of her wogan himself absorbed each moment in that moment's particular business now bending all his wits to vanquish jenny now to vanquish the princess mother even wogan had neglected how the time sped he looked at his watch it was twenty-five minutes to ten and at ten the magistrate would be knocking at the door i am ready said clementina drawing the wet cloak about her shoulders and its hood over her head she barely shivered under its wet heaviness there's one more thing to be done before you go said wogan but before he could say what that one thing was jenny who had now recovered her shoe ran across the room and took the beautiful heiress by both hands jenny was impulsive by nature the princess mother's distress and clementina's fearlessness made her suddenly ashamed that she had spoken so sourly there there old lady she said soothingly don't you fret they are very good friends your niece is going with then she drew clementina close to her i don't wonder they are all mad about you for i can't say but you are very handsome and richly worth the pains you have occasioned us she kissed clementina plump upon the cheek and whispered in her ear 
O'Toole won't mind the wet cloak, my dear, when he sees you. Clementina laughed happily and returned her kiss with no less sincerity, if with less noise. Quick, Jenny, said Wogan, to bed with you. He pointed to the door which led to the princess's bedroom. Now you must write a letter, he added to Clementina in a low voice, as soon as the door was shut upon Jenny, a letter to your mother relieving her of all complicity in your escape. Her Highness will find it to-morrow night slipped under the cover of her toilette. Clementina ran to a table and, taking up a pen, "'You think of everything,' she said. "'Perhaps you have written the letter.' Wogan pulled a sheet of paper from his fob. "'I have scribbled down a few dutiful sentiments,' said he, as we drove down from Nazareth, thinking it might save time. "'Mother!' exclaimed Clementina. "'Not content with contriving my escape, he will write my letters to you. "'Well, sir, let us hear what you have made of it.' Wogan dictated a most beautiful letter, in which a mother's claims for obedience were strongly set out, as a justification, one must suppose, for a daughter's disobedience. But Clementina was betrothed to His Majesty King James, and that engagement must be ever the highest consideration with her, on pain of forfeiting her honour. It was altogether a noble and stately letter, written in formal irreproachable phrases which no daughter in the world would ever have written to a mother clementina laughed over it but said that it would serve wogan looked at his watch again it was then a quarter to ten quick said he your highness will wait for me under the fourth tree of the avenue counting from the end he left the mother and daughter alone that his presence might not check the tenderness of their farewell and went down the stairs into the dark hall Monsieur Chateaudoux was waiting there with his teeth chattering in the extremity of his alarm. Wogan unlatched the door very carefully and saw through the chink the sentry standing by the steps. The snow still fell. He was glad to note the only light was a white glimmering from the waste of snow upon the ground. "'You must go out with her,' Wogan whispered to Chateaudoux, and speak a word to the sentry." "'At any moment the magistrate may come,' said Chateaudoux, though he trembled so that he could hardly speak. "'All the more reason for the sentinel to let your sweetheart run home at her quickest step,' said Wogan, and above him he heard Clementina come out upon the landing. He crept up the stairs to her. "'Here is my hand,' he said in a low voice. She laid her own in his, and bending towards him in the darkness she whispered, "'Promise me it shall always be at my service.' I shall need friends. I am young, and I have no knowledge. Promise me. She was young indeed. The freshness of her voice, its little tremble of modesty, the earnestness of its appeal, carried her youth quite home to Mr. Wogan's heart. She was sweet with youth. Wogan felt it more clearly as they stood together in the darkness than when he had seen her plainly in the lighted room, with youth mantling her cheeks and visible in the buoyancy of her walk. Then she had been always the chosen woman. Wogan could just see her eyes, steady and mysteriously dark, shining at him out of the gloom, and a pang of remorse suddenly struck through him. That one step she was to take was across the threshold of a prison, it was true, but a prison familiar and warm, and into a night of storm and darkness and ice. The road lay before her into Italy, but it was a road of unknown perils, through mountains deep in snow. 
and this escape of to-night from the villa this thunderous flight with its hardships and its dangers which followed the escape was only the symbol of her life she stepped from the shelter of her girlhood as she stepped across the threshold of the villa into a womanhood dark with many trials storm-swept and wandering she might reach the queendom which was her due as the berlin in which she was to travel might nay surely would rush one day from the gorges into the plains and the sunlight of italy but had wogan travelled to rome in gaydon's place and talked with whittington outside the caprara palace it is very likely that she would never have been allowed by him to start up till now he had thought only of her splendid courage of the humiliation of her capture of her wounded pride she was the chosen woman now he thought of the girl and wondered of her destiny and was stricken with remorse promise me she repeated and her hand tightened upon his and clung to it wogan had no fine sentiments wherewith to answer her but his voice took a depth of sincerity and tenderness quite strange to her her fingers ceased to tremble they went down into the hall chateaudoux who had been waiting in an agony of impatience opened the door and slipped out clementina followed him the door was left ajar behind them and wogan in the hall saw chateaudoux speak with the sentinel saw the sentinel run hurriedly to clementina saw clementina disappear into the snow chateaudoux ran back into the hall and you he asked as he barred and locked the door the magistrate is coming i saw the lights of the guard across the avenue clementina was outside in the storm wogan was within the house and the lights of the guard were already near i go by the way i came said he i have time and he ran quickly up the stairs in the room he found the princess mother weeping silently and again as he saw this weak elderly woman left alone to her fears and forebodings remorse took hold on him courage madam said he as he crossed the room she goes to wed a king sir i am her mother replied the princess gaining at this moment a suitable dignity from her tears i was wondering not of the king but of the man the king conceals you need not madam said wogan who had no time for eulogies upon his master take his servant's loyalty as the measure of his merits he looked out of the window and suddenly drew back he stood for a moment with a look of great fear upon his face for the sentinel was back at his post wogan dared not at this moment risk a struggle and perhaps an outcry clementina was waiting under the avenue of trees wogan was within the house and the lights of the guard were already flaring in the roadway even as wogan stood in the embrasure of the window he heard a heavy knocking on the door End of chapter 13